You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game in Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we dive into today's episode, a little self-promotion. Stop what you're doing. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook group, Panthers on Tap. We have over 2,500 members. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Panthers on Tap. Don't forget to give me and Bryson some love on Twitter, at Coach Rule and at Curtis underscore Round. Bryson, it's been a week and a half. It's good to see you. Good to be back. A week and a half, man. It feels like a month since we've been back on this thing. But, yeah, good to see you too, dude. I'm excited to get get back to it and talk about some mini camp or some OTAs and, um, and just kind of dive into the, some – news that's come out yeah i'm ready to roll here mini camp wrapped up last week we got a first timer with us this evening he's a sports talk host on wfnz 92.9 the game he's also done some work with espn upstate sc radio network sb nation radio and ktgr sports host will palologic is with us hopefully i didn't murder that name welcome to the show will <laughs> hey curtis palogic it's not that too, it's, it's uh you made it more difficult but it's all good palogic i knew i was gonna mess that up right when i saw it it just caught me in a rut and i'm like oh here we go whatever's it's coming all good. up we're rolling with it well let's start with minicamp will let's let's just get right to it and start off with who stood out to you over those i mean it was only two practice days some conditioning testing the the last one, but just start off with that. So I think the thing that, that stands out to me and not to totally parrot what Matt rule and the coaching staff said, but I feel like the, the most encouraging thing about the camp was that number one, everybody was there, not only for the mandatory portion, but for the non-required slash voluntary portions, the OTA part of it, the two or three weeks that led up to mandatory minicamp, they had nearly perfect attendance. There were some days where they had 88 of the 90 rostered players in the building and on the field. Now, a lot of them weren't necessarily working because of off-season cleanups and surgeries. So if there's one thing that I feel like that is a bit of a sad thing is that we didn't get to see Jeremy Chin the entire time. We didn't get to see Brian Burns. Uh, Terrace Marshall was another guy who was down and, and a couple of other guys who we didn't really get to see. But I really feel like that gives you at least an idea of the level of buy-in that this team currently has with not only this coaching staff, but with the organization. As far as individual guys, you know, there were some some real standouts on defense the first day. And really, I, I feel like that's the one day where if you wanted to kind of draw any conclusions, that was the day that really looked like more of a typical mini camp training camp type practice where you know you get your guys together right away you work on some things that you might have uh, not seen or, or things you wanted to want to clean up on film study then you go into your stretching and your individuals and your inside and your seven on seven and your 11 on 11 that was kind of the way that first practice was structured whereas the second practice of OTAs was more of a situational kind of you know Matt Rule kind of threw out some different situations like, okay, you know, offense versus defense, ones versus ones. One offense is down 10 points. They need a touchdown on a field goal, and they are four minutes and this so many timeouts. So it was very situational in nature. It wasn't really uh, wasn't really that particularly structured. So they kind of went back and did, you know, 
10 or 11 of those situations. They were only on the field on uh, last Wednesday, about hour and a half, honestly. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was slated for about three hours and he got him, got him done early. And, and we asked him, he's like, why the heck were you done so early? And he said, well, they, they got all the plays in they wanted to. So they did it in a lot quicker time period than he was envisioning. As far as people who stood out, you know, there were some guys who I feel like, you know, from the rookie class that really stood out, you know, Chuba Hubbard is somebody who I feel like is really going to add a dimension to this offense that while Mike Davis was certainly admirable in the stead of Christian McCaffrey being down for injury, I feel like Chuba is going to be really interesting to kind of look at when it comes to the way they're going to utilize the running back room and utilize the slot position. I feel like if you're looking at, the biggest battles right now on the football team slot receiver and left tackle are really those two spots that I feel like are the, are the two biggest uh, kind of unknowns going into our time in Spartanburg in late July. I feel like everything else for the most part is basically set. I know that looking at some of those newer guys too, even though a lot of them didn't get a lot of work, you know, Morgan Fox is somebody who I feel like is going to really infuse some, some real nature into that uh, front into that front four. I also feel like Hassan Reddick is somebody who has taken a great leadership role. Uh, you see him talking with some of the younger players. And again, a lot of these guys were in red. So there were some, you know, kind of tutoring being done there. Even a, even a guy like a Denzel Perriman, who I feel like was a very undervalued signing nationally, is somebody who really stood out and made some plays. If, if there was a side that won that first day, that more traditional day, it would have been the defense uh, because they were really getting in the backfield. Though, again, like I go before, the fact that they didn't have pads on really made it an unfair advantage for the defense because a lot of times the line play – in those type of scenarios, when you're only going with shorts and shells, uh, you're not able to get the live line play that really mimics a, a real game because the defenders are able to get their hands up at the line without impunity. So there were a lot of batted balls from, you know, Sam Donald's right arm, from PJ Walker's right arm, from Will Greer's right arm that would not normally have been batted down. There was one, actually, that was batted up in the air at the line that Hassan Reddick caught for an interception on uh, one of the first plays of the team period on uh, on that first day of camp on Tuesday. But as Matt Rule said, you know, there are not necessarily going to be those types of opportunities because normally, as they teach the guys on offensive line, if a guy gets his hands up, you're supposed to hit him in the chops, but they don't want any friendly fire going on in these types of situations because uh, that's part of the reason why we're seeing all these joint practices, I feel like, in the fall too as well. But, but overall, I feel like the defense showed out really well. I think it's going to be interesting to see what that cornerback room brings to the table, too. I feel like if there's one group that's ahead of any other on this team, it is the cornerback room. Uh, Rashawn Melvin was somebody who came in also and, and looked very, very good and very, very adept to being a part of that uh, secondary. Of course, Dante Jackson comes back. Dante looked fully healthy for the first time in how long? I mean, he, he's somebody who was always kind Thank of nagging with that turf toe. I mean, he, he looked he looked fantastic. He looked very spry. Uh, I feel like the, the safety position with Justin Burris uh, next to Chin, I'm being sold a little bit more on that, though. Again, I feel like Chin needs to be given, and again, we didn't see Chin a lot on the field, but I feel like Chin needs to be given some, I don't want to say ability to freelance, but the one thing that Phil Snow said that I really felt that stand out during the OTA portion of uh, this offseason training activity portion of camp was that 
you're not utilizing the full chin if you're not moving him level to level. Uh, but instead of what they did last year, they moved him kind of front to back. This is going to be kind of moving him from the back up to the front. So they'll start him in a lot of base packages in the safety position and then creep him up to get some pressure, whether it's on third down or situationally or play him more in the middle of the field if they feel like they need to get a, a middle attack going on the defensive side of the football. But but the cornerback position, you know, between Melvin, uh, obviously uh, Dante Jackson, uh, we didn't see Troy Pride out there. He's still battling an injury. But uh, when J.C. Horn came back, too, uh, he's somebody that, again, it, it's only in it's it's only in show it's only in sh- shorts and shells I should say, but he's really really massive. Like I feel like that's the one thing that stands out with him when you see him stand next to a DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson, you know he's going to be able to stand eye to eye with those guys, and he's going to be physical. And that's what they really wanted out of that first pick when it came to getting a corner, whether I know a lot of people were angry about not getting Sertan or, or not getting one of the other guys who was highly touted uh, out of the cornerback position. You know, Horn had a fantastic, uh, fantastic pro day at South Carolina. They really loved the way he ran. And they also loved and from, uh, from Phil Snow's point of view, the interview they had with him, he showed an aptitude for the game that I feel like you don't normally see from somebody. And a lot of that's due to his pedigree, you know, growing up with Joe Horn as his father. So uh, I feel like corner was the best position on the field on that Tuesday of, of minicamp. But again, a lot of it's early. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the concerns about Sam Donald, while they are warranted, I'm a very pro Donald guy, but I have to see more when it comes to, what he's going to bring to the table. And again, we'll, we'll see that come the fall. So will it, the, the opposite end then would be, was there a position group or player that was disappointing that you wanted to see more out of? The only thing that I feel like uh, would be disappointing is that if there were two concern points going into this season, you, those concerns were not alleviated during off during OTAs and minicamp. And I feel like those two positions are quarterback and left tackle. You didn't get anything out of the two to three week period that they were on the field here in Charlotte that sullied or quelled any of your concerns. And I don't know if you're going to even get that until we get to when they actually strap it up on uh, the 15th of August against the Indianapolis Colts and maybe even not until the regular season that opener against the Jets. So, so that's the part of it that I feel like if, if there is one thing that's kind of nagging is that, you didn't really see Sam Donald play exemplary, exemplarily, if you will, if that's even a word. But that, I think, is something that's by design for Matt Rule. They, they, the way that they wanted to kind of go about this minicamp is that they wanted to throw a lot at all three quarterbacks. And, and I feel like also, and, and this was something that Sean Ryan told us, uh, their quarterbacks coach, he told us this uh, last week, I believe. He said to the, to the degree that they wanted to kind of go through camp they want to take all these guys with a bit of a blank canvas because they're still trying to instill a lot of the good habits. And, and one of the things that was said to me, and I tried to ask this question to both uh, Joe Brady and, and Sean Ryan, and they didn't necessarily pick at it, but I forget who said it to me. It was either Scott Fitterer or, uh, or Matt Rule said this to us uh, during the process when they acquired Sam Donald. It was almost like they looked at him like a bit of an extension 
of this rookie class, like a more seasoned rookie that had NFL experience. And a lot of the stuff that uh, happened with him in New York came as a result of bad habits. And I also mm-hmm. feel like, too, with, with him, he never had the weapons in New York. You Look at the totality of those teams that he played with those three years with the Jets. You couldn't pick out an all-star team amongst those three years of Jet football that would go up toe-to-toe with the group that he will step into on the field, given health, of course, that first game against New York week one. He had Robbie Anderson, yes, but he never had a good foil with Robbie in New York. Here he has one with DJ Moore. I feel like the slot position is going to be very much improved for what it was in New York. I mean, he's throwing to Braxton Berrios and Jamison Crowder. Like, let's be real. And of course, we haven't even talked about the fact that he has Christian McCaffrey back there, who is the best offensive skill position player he's had in any of his time in the National Football League. Uh, I feel like the offensive line is also better than the one he had in New York. Grant had Makai Becton last year, although he was probably a bit of a slower starter than they even envisioned with him, the guy coming out of Louisville. And even so, you, you saw how much they needed more offensive linemen and the fact that they kind of tr- traded back in and got some more pieces there in New York because they were not happy with the way that position played for them last year. But that's the only feel like if, if there's one thing that I feel like I would say is disappointing, it's that we really didn't see anything from the quarterback position that made me think, okay, Sam Donald looks the part. I feel like everyone's saying all the right things in terms of him. They are going forward as if he is their starter. It's not as if they're not keeping their ear to the grindstone with other situations read Watson comma Deshaun but I do feel like there's at least there's at least a a nature around them they feel like this is kind of the road they've chosen and they're taking baby steps when it comes to him and the other part of it I would say that you know we really didn't see any of the left tackle spot really play out at all because we didn't see Irving on the field during that last week Uh, we didn't see Trent Scott on the field I think for the entirety of OTAs and minicamp so that, that part of it is, is slightly concerning for me, but they have basically told Cam Irving, and he said this to us uh, the last day that we were able to talk to players, which was on Wednesday, a uh, week ago today. He, they told Cam Irving that the, the left tackle spot is his. So I guess you could say they at least feel fortified in their decision-making. Uh, I don't know how, how good or how touchy-feely I feel about Cam Irving as a starting left tackle, especially when you know he's committed for two years of money. That is a significant amount of money, if you will. I just I have to see it play out on the field. And maybe he, he does turn into somebody who is lightning in a bottle, and I think that's what they're looking for with him. Yeah, we got Will Pelagic here from WFNC. Will, let's, let's stick with that position a little bit here and jump right to it. Do you think the starter for the first game 2021 for left tackle is on the roster? You personally, just from what you've seen so far, I know you haven't seen Irving, but I mean, is the answer on the roster? Or is it one of those things where, you know, we go into training camp and the Panthers realize, oh, we might have to bring, you know, Russell or Coombeck back or, oh. or bring in someone else. I think they, they feel like Cam is going to be their guy. Um, for better or worse, if you will, to use the marriage <laughs> malaprop there. Um, and I think, too, with the kind of financial commitment that they gave him, that sends a message. That says that they're at least going to give him every position to not win that job. Basically, or I guess I should say, 
he's going to be given every every position to, to to kind of maintain that. And I feel like also, if there's one thing that was somewhat discouraging to hear Matt Rule say on the last day is that they were projecting Brady Christensen, the rookie out of BYU, more on the right side as opposed to left side. Not that he can't play left, out, out of Matt's words there. They, they look at him more as somebody on the right side, which of course means, you know, what does that mean for the future of Taylor Moten? And, and I feel like, too, uh, that was kind of the major, I think, discussion point. If there was one that kind of dominated over anything else, it's that, you know, we came out one day and we had Irving and Scott both in red, and all of a sudden, there's 72 on the left side of the line sit, uh, lined up next to Pat Elfline. It's like, whoa, this is a little weird. <laughs> and, I, and again, I feel like a lot of this is them going in the lab. A lot of it was also out of necessity because those two guys were down. But I, I'm not saying that you read too much into to them trying that out because the one thing you do not want to do is you don't want to weaken two positions because if Taylor Moten's strongest position really is right tackle why would you create another hole by trying to patch another and that's the part of it that I feel like they're very cognizant of I still feel like what's out there on the market just kind of doing a cursory look and believe me we we do we do a spot check of the wire every day, just like the uh, just like the Panthers and Scott Fitterer do. There's nothing out there that I don't feel like they really need to have, other than maybe Okung. But again, you only got about a half a season out of Okung last year, anyway. So I feel like that's the big big issue when it comes to him is that if you sign him, number one, you're going to have to pay him, which again is whether or not you're going to be able to fill, figure that out under the cap. And number two, how much exactly is he going to give you during a season? Uh, I feel like they, they, they feel, I will, I will, I will, I will speak, I will not speak for them, but to me, I believe that they feel that they are better off than the public conversation feels like uh, they feel about left tackle. Uh, whether that translates into them telling everybody, ha ha, we were right, you were not, or whether we get to go back and second and guess them and say, hey, by the way, maybe you should have uh, maybe gone lineman instead at uh, eight overall instead of corner. Because again, if, if there was one thing in the draft that I thought was was somewhat perplexing, it was how long they waited to go to tackle in whether it was the first round or even that second round. I feel like, you know, a lot of people wondered about Slater. A lot of people wondered about some of those other guys in the second round. Uh, there were a couple of guys on the board that I felt like could have really fit the mold instead of uh, them doing all those trade downs. And, and then the, the guy that they ended up picking was Terrace Marshall. Not that I don't think Terrace Marshall is going to be a good player. I feel like he was a very great value pick for them for what they needed because I feel like they did need to address and, and add another potential offensive weapon to the fold. But in terms of, of that position, I feel like if there's any, any, any grade you want to feel like you want to give them on the way that they handle this offseason, I feel like that's, that's still an unfinished, uh, unfinished product, if you will, mm -hmm. or unfinished project when it comes to that position on the football field. Yeah, and it just – it's so tiring as a fan. And me and Bryson have talked about this in the past few episodes is this patchwork job they do at left tackle. I mean, Cam Irving was on injured reserve twice with the Cowboys last year. Like, it, it just seems like every time they bring in someone to fill that position, they think they're going to resurrect their career and never have an injury again and just be this stud at left tackle, which is the most important position on the line. And you, you're bringing in a quarterback who needs all the time in the pocket so he can make a play. So it's like, man, they, I just – 
the investment at that position has just been piss poor and it's so disappointing. And that was kind of my concern when they drafted Christensen. And we've been talking about this the past couple of weeks, me and Bryson. It's just, it's frustrating. And, and, and look, I'm with you. Like, I think the other part of this too, is that when you had a player, the caliber of Jordan gross, again, Jordan gross, is not Walter Jones, he's not Jonathan Ogden, but he was somebody who held the position for a decade for this team. And he's somebody who was reliable. He's somebody who I feel like you threw him out there and you didn't have to worry. And that's the part of it that I feel like they do not have with that position right now. And and, and whether or not, I feel like there's a lot of, I don't want to say it's, it's being treated as a luxury because it's not. It's not a luxury. It's something that should be the most stalwart part of your offensive line. That and center are the two most important positions on the O-line. And I feel like with Paradis, he's somebody who, who comes in and obviously is a veteran, but are you sold 100% on Matt Paradis? I'm not. Uh, I feel like there's only really one lineman who you really can say that about, and that's and that's Taylor Moten. But again, Taylor Moten is... is being paid at a position that, quite honestly, is no better than the third most important on the line. So when you're giving 15 or $16 million to Taylor Moten via a franchise tag and you're paying Cam Irving what you're paying him on the left tackle, it, it, it makes me question really how they look at this offensive line. And I do like some of the pieces that they brought in, you know, in the later part of the draft. Like Deontay Brown, I feel like, is, is going to be – a future guard on this football team. I feel like just, just the massive nature of that human being is somebody who I feel like is going to figure it out. And I feel like they, they really liked what he brought to the table, the senior bowl. So it's not as if they didn't make some moves to, to help themselves on the offensive line. It's just, I feel like they, they have an attitude toward left tackle that runs counterculture to the way that the rest of the National Football League thinks about left tackle. They feel like you can just kind of uh, just piece me a left tackle together and, and just have other guys on that line and not necessarily worry about left tackle when in reality they've needed to find somebody in that position, like you said, Curtis, for uh, too long of a time. And that's the part of it that's incredibly discouraging but maybe they get lightning in a bottle with cam irving maybe dennis daly turns into something or maybe they figure out a way to scheme up some things on christensen's end that allow him to develop into that left tackle of the future or they move voting or they they call russell okun I, I guarantee you they have his number ready i'm not saying yeah, that sure. they, they want to go that route ultimately but I do agree with you. They, they've taken an attitude toward that position that is a little too laissez-faire for my liking. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Dennis Daly. I, I saw some reporting from a couple of people, uh, David Newton, take it for what you will, but uh, he um, he mentioned that Dennis Daly looked really, really good and was turning heads at camp. Did you not see that at left tackle position from Dennis Daly? He did, and, and, and Daly is somebody who, you know, I saw play at South Carolina too, and he's somebody who played left tackle there, and I really liked – when they got him, I, I felt like that was something that was a a real value choice for them to try and, and get him as a building block. My whole concern with him is just lack of of experience doing the job over a, a long season. Like I feel like he he was a swing tackle on an offensive line that ranked in the bottom third of the National Football League. So if that's the, if that was the kind of the case for him with where he was last year and and the previous year, like that's the part of it that I feel like is somewhat 
hard to, to reconcile when, you, when you're turning to a swing tackle who's never really been asked to do anything more than just fill a void. Is that really what you want as your starting left tackle on opening week one of the National Football League season? I don't know, but I feel like the one thing he does bring is an aptitude of this offense. I feel like of, of any of the guys who are out there, be it Big Boosie, be it uh, Paradis, Moten, you know, he's somebody whose aptitude with this scheme and with this offense was is very much in line with those guys. So if there's one thing that he brings to the table, he, he brings some agility. I feel like he, he's somebody who can get off the ball very, very quickly. And I also feel like, too, you know, once we see these guys actually – get down and get into pads, then you really will get the actual, you know, who's better than who. And I also, you can't underrate the fact that this offense is going against a defense that I feel like can be a top 10 defense in this league every day. And whether or not you buy into the whole iron sharpens iron philosophy that a lot of college coaches like to say, and and I feel like could also be true with the National Football League, you're going to see whoever lines up at left tackle, going against Brian Burns every day, going against Morgan Fox, going against Yator Gross Matos. And again, Gross Matos is somebody who, again, continues to, to really kind of develop his game. But I do feel like the ability to go against this defensive line, which is much improved, Derek Brown also being a part of that, I feel like that will at least enhance the game of a lot of these guys. But, you know, D- Daly is somebody who I feel like, Yes, he has the ability to do it. He just haven't seen it on the field consistently over a 16-game schedule. You know, it's. I just think it's kind of funny. We we mentioned Dennis Daly. He's a six-round pick in 2019. We don't even mention the guy they took in the second round and traded up for, Greg Little. What have you seen from him? I mean, is this guy – you think this guy makes the roster this year? Just your personal opinion or it's just I – th- I feel like the from the way that they utilized him, they still value him. Um, but they don't, they're not exactly proud of him at this point. And, and I feel like they, they want to kind of look at that. And, and I feel like even Scott Fitterer is, is in a way when you feel like he's talking about Greg Little, it almost feels like, oh, he, he almost feels like he was a mistake. Somebody else's mistake, if you will. That, that's kind of the way they, they treat him when it comes to the way they talk about him. But, um, I feel like they're going to feel forced to carry him because of, of what it will look like. You know, it, it'll feel like an admission of failure, even though it was, again, the previous regime that kind of took that, took care of that, uh, that pick. But I, I do feel like when it comes to him, a lot of it has been about getting that body down to where I feel like they're comfortable with his agility. Like that's always been the issue with him is that his agility has not matched the the pedigree that preceded him like so many times i would see on film guy he would just ole guys or, or let guys get inside position on him and that's that's something that is basic that, that that that's rudimentary when it comes to offensive line play you can't let a guy get past you as easily as he does with people and again i i struggle to to make any long-term conclusions on the line play just based off of what we saw, because again, they weren't necessarily going live. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm, I'm not going to to necessarily indict anything we saw this week from him. But I will tell you, at least from from the way they're utilizing his reps, I can tell you they they still value him and value what he can bring to the table. I don't know if he's ever going to be the guy that they drafted, or at least he's. I don't think he's ever going to look like somebody who could have been a first-round tackle that they took early in the second round in 2019. Like I, I don't know if that player 
is going to be the one that shows up. But can he be serviceable? I fully like they, they believe that he can be, but it, it all comes down to whether the agility and the body can actually match up because that's still one thing that I feel like is not where it needs to be from him. All right, enough depressing talk about the, or about the offensive line and the left tackle position. Let's move on to... <laughs> I'm and I'm saying like I said I don't I don't mean to, to be like depressing about it but no, again that's if there's a if there's a if there's a gripe that you want to have yeah. about this football yeah, team it's that yeah, one yeah, unfortunately you got to address it too yeah. because you know what we're going to be sitting here week four and five pissing and moaning that Sam Darnold's getting knocked around because someone on the left side can't hold their own and that it's gonna happen yeah and it, it's a reality I mean it's something that we have to talk about so I mean it's it's the most glaring need yeah. on the team so I, absolutely but. Um, I, I, I wanted to know, actually, Curtis and I both wanted to know if you got a chance to see uh, Haha Clinton Dix at OTAs and, and if, if you did get a chance to see him, how he looked. So Haha is somebody who I've always felt like, for whatever reason, has never gotten his due in the league, whether it's because people thought he was undersized or issues with coverage or he wasn't the thumper that we thought he was at Alabama. Uh, there have been a lot of platitudes given as to why he has bounced around as much as he has for a guy who was so heralded coming out of the Crimson Tide program out of college. But I've always liked his game um, based on the way that they got him in again. They only signed him this past week, so they, they weren't necessarily working him in as much. Uh, a lot of it was somewhat um, – Again, very much introductory with him. So it wasn't like that we, we got to see anything too glaring with him. But I asked Matt Rule, you know, when you sign a player of that caliber, you know, what are you looking for? And he said, you know, the, the ski, they want to know what the skill set, they want to know the traits, and they want to see how he is in the meeting room when it comes to grasping things. I feel like he will get an invite to camp. So I feel like that's one thing. We will see him in Spartanburg, I do believe, unless there is a, a need that arises at another position, kind of a, a last one last one in, first one gone type scenario. But I even feel like there might be other situations that, that prioritize themselves differently in terms of a guy who they need to cut if, in fact, there's some sort of injury unforeseen that happens during this offseason. But I think from his perspective, he, he comes in at a position that – I still feel like needs a heck of a lot of help with depth wise. I feel like, you know, trying to count on Justin Burris to handle that entire load opposite of Jeremy Chin is a lot to ask of a guy who is still kind of trying to feel like he's trying to come into his own as a player. And I feel like haha is somebody who can really fit in there in some situational positions. Again, it's very difficult on defense. You don't, want to have a guy who you feel like is almost like a gadget player on defense for lack of a better term. Uh, they use the term tweener a lot to, to talk about those guys who feel like they're, you know, too small for one position, but too big for another position. And they can't necessarily acclimate to the skill set. But I feel like what they wanted to do with haha is they wanted to see how he fit their scheme. Can he play that position either where Justin Burris is or next to Justin Burris, especially when they want to use chin up closer to the line. And can he play center field if they wanted to, to move chin up and blitz him more? That's, that's the whole part that I feel like with him is, is very curious is, is can he hold his own if Jeremy chin is out there doing his own thing? Mm -hmm. And I feel like if, if, if they, if they get that answer in Spartanburg, he'll make this team. Yeah. I, I think he's got a good shot. And I was that my follow-up was, you know, 
are they pretty confident, Sam Franklin? You saw him slide in there, slide in at safety a couple times last year. Is, I mean, could he make the next step? You know, to you know, be aside Burris and help him out because Bur- Burris had some shine. I mean, he he had he held his own on some of those games last year and played pretty well too. So, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are on Franklin. Franklin, they 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 really like Franklin. Honestly, they 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 like Franklin. I didn't mean to leave his name out of there, but I, I do feel like they wanted somebody to push Franklin. And I feel like Clinton Dix is, is that kind of guy. A lot of times you see these signings happen if you want to get more out of a player. And I feel like they, they did that to try and motivate Burris and try to motivate Franklin and, and also just kind of see, you know, how the mix works. And I feel like too, from the, from the standpoint of the Panthers, look, when you, when you look at their depth chart on defense, there's a lot of guys who can fit in a lot of different areas. When you feel like, you know, Sam Franklin is somebody who you feel like can start. There's obviously other guys there, you know, whether it's, it's Kenny Robinson is another guy who they liked a lot. Uh, We did see a lot of a guy they got late uh, in the, in the undrafted situation, JT eBay, another South Carolina project, and even Sean Chandler. These are guys who I felt like got a lot of run, uh, last week and the week before, even even uh, Delano Hill is another guy who they really like as well. But but Franklin, I feel like, is the guy they want to push. And, and same thing with Robinson by bringing in uh, Ha Ha Clinton Dix because it, it's not that Franklin didn't step up to the task. It's like how, how does he respond to competition? Does he elevate his game to a level where it's like oh he becomes a guy we can't take off the field now? And I feel like that's part of the reason why you brought Clinton Dix in to uh to the scenario that you did and and one thing that i've been kind of arguing with curtis on is uh moving jeremy chin back to safety because if there was a knock on him last season it was his coverage ability um he if there was an area he struggled in it was that and i thought he played linebacker so well uh done so much for the defense last year um that it just it just hurts me to see him move back to safety and uh and and the cut that they had of Trey Boston, which is which is mine and Curtis's guy here, uh, didn't make any sense to me. I, right. I I like Trey Boston a lot. I mean, he wasn't always the the best safety on the field, but he he I, I he wasn't the issue. I I thought, but the the cut didn't really make sense to either of us. But um, the cut the cut. I'll, I'll just real quickly on the Trey Boston cut. It, it literally it was only a money thing. Honestly, it, I, I think it was anything about the player. I felt like they, they felt kind of strong on the cap. They needed to create some cap space and and, and fill in in other areas. I feel like if, if they didn't cut Trey Boston, you couldn't assign Hassan Reddick. So it was kind of a one-for-one one type deal. And I, I'm with you, Bryce. Look, look, Jeremy Chin is safety almost feels wasteful. I, I mean, I'm not trying to, to make it sound so simple and simplistic, but I feel like if you're using him only as a safety – I feel like you're not getting the full value of a player. But again, going back to what I said about what Phil Snow said, it's not that they're only going to use him as a safety or only going to use him as a linebacker. They're going to use him as basically, to use the college term, a, a rover. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that I don't like about it is that they're calling him a free safety. When in reality, I feel like it's more of a strong safety type position. Now, I think they're calling it free safety because they're giving him free reign to kind of go mm-hmm where they feel like he is situationally on a given play and that other that other safety is going to have the responsibility of playing center field i feel like if you put jeremy chin 
in the middle of the field like that and have him play center field, you're not utilizing him at the best. So I feel like when it comes down to his coverage ability, they want to see an improvement there, like you said. But I also feel like you're not getting the full value of the player if you're just keeping him in one spot. So I feel like the the, the thing that they've really impressed upon us is that they see Jeremy Chin as a versatile, all-world kind of player. And how do you best utilize that on a given play? Because I feel like they went down a linebacker a lot out of necessity for him last year, just because of the fact that they were getting nothing out of Tahir Whitehead. They were getting nothing out of the, the middle part of that, uh, that linebacking core. So they needed some kind of spark in that middle third of the football field. And that's part of the reason why they, they kind of felt like they had something. They found lightning in a bottle with him in that role, but they also felt like they could use him in a more variety of ways at the safety position. And again, you're in a linebacker group now that is a lot more fortified. When you think about Thompson, Perryman and Reddick, that's a lot better group of guys. Even Jermaine Carter, who I haven't even mentioned yet is somebody who obviously is going to compete for time. Uh, they are a lot more solid there than they were when Chin was basically asked to fill in because other guys were not you know, carrying their own uh, mail, if you will. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention was that the linebacker group was is a lot better than it was last season. So that makes me a little less nervous. I'm just it's the it's the, it's other than corner. It's the most improved. Uh, it's the most improved area yeah. of the football team. Honestly, I would say just because of the fact that you add in uh, a veteran in Perryman. You add in a pass rush specialist in Hassan Reddick. Uh, I feel like Carter, you, you've kind of found something with him in the second half of last season. And, and even you, uh, whether you classify him as a linebacker or an edge rusher, you're going to get Christian Miller back. And, and he was somebody who in his first season, I feel like he gave you something and, and was going to be a real key player before he opted out uh, prior to COVID-19 pandemic last year. I feel like he's a name that not enough people are bringing up that can be a contributor uh, and again, they, they like the way he, his, uh, his conditioning is. They, they liked his body. It's, it's not like he, he let himself go last year during the COVID-19 pandemic. So again, he, he's somebody who I feel like uh, factors into that role as well, just because of the fact that, you know, he's almost like another free agent signing for them, at least in a way. Going with corner, um, I'm just curious. Do you think, I mean, who do you think is going to be that nickel corner for them? You, I've seen a bunch of stuff online of, but who is going to be that guy? Are they going to move, you know, Dante inside? Is it going to be Boye? Who, who do you see there at nickel? I think it's AJ Boye, honestly. I feel like they, they've, they've kind of made it pretty clear that they want Horn and Dante on the outside. And, and I feel like it was uh, – I can't remember who it was, whether it was Matt Rule or, or Phil Snow, but – they, they basically told A.J. Boye, look, you're going to be the nickel corner. And, and that's kind of where they feel like he's, he's best suited. And then they're going to use Melvin, I feel like, as that dime corner. But don't sleep on fifth-round pick Keith Taylor either. They really, really like him. He's, he's another long corner like Horn is. Not as physical or not as physically gifted as, as, as Horn is, but they like his, his agility and his length. Uh, but I, I feel like that's another group that, like I said, is a lot deeper than they were a, a year ago. Uh, but again, I feel like like Boye, they, they want him to be in the corner, which again, given what they paid him, it's a lot. It's very similar to Irving. It's a lot for a nickel corner, but I feel like 
they are comfortable with both Horn and and uh, Dante Jackson on the outsides. And even, you know, uh, given with JC's time that he missed, you know, while he was not on a holdout, but again, just, just not there for the voluntary portion of OTAs and, and didn't get back uh, until the stuff actually became required to be there, the, uh, the required portion of mandatory minicamp. Uh, he wasn't necessarily somebody who you saw as much in, in the action because of the fact that he's still learning the offense or learning the defense, I should say, learning the schemes. But I asked, I asked Matt Rule, I said, is it basically your intention to have him as a starter on the field? And he's like, well, when you, when you draft a guy that high, you expect him to start. So I feel like they're just kind of bringing him along slowly, but they envision a scenario, I believe, uh, that involves in their base package, Horn, Jackson on the outside and Bouye in a nickel slot position with Melvin as your fourth corner. And then, you know, you have the other guys, whether it's, you know, a guy like a miles Hartsfield or a Troy pride. And again, this is not a knock on pride. I feel like he, he was, he was thrust into a scenario way before he was ready last year. And I, and I really like the kid. He's a, you know, he's a South Carolina kid. I, I I'm not, I'm not going to say anything bad about Troy pride. I feel like he, he was, almost a sacrificial lamb in a lot of ways last year. So he, he was, he was thrown into a situation way before he was ready. Mm-hmm. I feel like, but, that's fair. but I feel like, but he's, he's somebody who I feel like you might see a significant step up from, especially if, uh, if he's given opportunities that allow him to very similar to uh, the situation with chin linebacker and Jermaine Carter, there were not a lot of guys around them making plays last year. So uh, asking a guy, who is greener than grass to make those kinds of plays right off the bat in his national football league debut season is a hard ask for anybody. And I feel like Troy, it, uh, it kind of gave people a, a, an unfair look at him, Mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah. We're talking shop here with uh, Will Pelagic from WFNZ. Good to have you on the show. Let's jump to the offensive side here a little bit and let's go back to wide receiver me and Bryce were talking about this last week. How many, how many guys do you think they're going to carry in that group, you know, going into the season? I know it's early yet and we're not even in training camp, but is it a thing where they're carrying six, seven guys or what do you think? There's a lot, well, there's a lot, like of, if, there's a lot of guys there. There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys. And I, I'll tell you, they do like a lot of them. Um, I think a lot of it, a lot of it depends on, on how the return uh, how, how the kickoff and punt return uh, spot gets somewhat uh, sorted out, if you will. I feel like that's still a, that's still a question mark right now in terms of where they want to go with that. But I feel like if you're if you're going to keep anyone, the the guys who I feel like are who are locks to make the fifty three on a given Sunday are, are DJ Robbie, David Moore, Terrace Marshall, and they really like Brandon Zilstra's uh, attitude of the playbook now it'll depend on on how many they want to keep on the practice squad they've got a number of guys who are kind of in that vein whether it's shy smith who we really haven't seen a lot of during camp because he's been dealing with an injury uh undisclosed um they brought in cj saunders he was the guy that they signed after they uh released tommy stevens r.i.p tommy stevens um <laughs> but they really like 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 mark and michelle this is the guy they like too and, and micah simon uh, but I, I do feel like if, if there's guys who are locks more, the, the two Moors, Anderson 
Terrace Marshall and Zilstra, I feel like are your, what I would call starting five for lack of a better term, unless Saunders or Smith cracks the lineup as the return man. I feel like shy is somebody who should get a lot of the looks at return just because I feel like he has some speed and he has some aptitude with that particular skill set that would really help Uh, that they like Saunders too at that position. Uh, They've talked about putting Hubbard back there also. So if, if a running back or, or a non wide receiver gets that return spot, maybe you, you throw another guy into the mix there as a sixth wide receiver slash special teams player. But I feel like they, that the five that I described, the two Moors, Marshall Anderson and Zilstra, those those are kind of your starting five with uh, the rest of the guys kind of, um, battling for practice squad spots. I, I will say uh, it's a log jam. I'm not going to deny the fact that it's a log jam just because of the fact that, you know, I feel like they've got a lot of guys who they, they feel very comfortable about the wide receiver position. I feel like for the first time in a, in a long time and, and Marshall, I think is a big part of that. I, I think that they're going to use him as a big slot target that is going to really open some things up for Sam Donald. He's going to command attention with his size and speed that will allow a lot more single high over the top with DJ and Robbie, which is something that neither of them has been afforded in their time in Carolina. I feel like Robbie, Robbie was asked to do things, uh, again, going back to the situation with Troy Pride, going back to the situation with Jeremy Chin. Robbie Anderson was probably put on an island way too many times this past year. And again, whether you want to talk about Teddy Bridgewater's ability to throw the deep ball or not remains to be seen, but he was not put in situations where he could separate in coverage on a fair shot, if you will, with regards to trying to, to get himself uh, actually open in the scenarios where he was able to find uh, more openings in the past. So he'll Marshall will have a very great effect on DJ Moore also on uh, Robbie Anderson. And I also want to see what, what David Moore brings to the table too. David Moore is somebody who I feel like, you know, they got to basically be the third down threat they'd never had in the slot receiver position, you know, uh, especially in, in, in downs when you want to maybe kind of flare McCaffrey out of the backfield on a third down on a potential screen. He's somebody that presents another option on the opposite side when it comes to a secondary read on that. And, and while I, I know you mentioned that it's a, you were talking about receivers don't sleep on tight end Dan Arnold as a real pass catching option for Sam Donald. Uh, He brings it a lot more to the tight end position than Sam had in New York or anybody had at this position last year with Carolina, I should say, no offense to uh, no offense to my man, Ian Thomas, but you know, and again, they're very high on the off season that Ian Thomas had, but I feel like Dan Arnold is going to be that dude. He caught an amazing pass, in a, in a situational Hail Mary situation uh, on Wednesday that really shows that that big target out there in the middle that is, is going to help Sam Donald out a lot. Another player that we haven't mentioned at the wide receiver position that I've, I've gathered, I think Joe Brady likes a lot, that we didn't get to see a lot of last year is Keith Kirkwood. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested to see uh, what he brings to the table. And if he's he makes the, the roster. He's certainly yeah. in the mix. Uh, I feel like he's, he's somebody who is battling for that that fifth spot, again, like I said, you know, Zilstra is somebody who, with the aptitude of the playbook that precedes him, he's somebody that has a leg up on some of those other guys to to be the 
the fifth roster wide receiver, if you will, and, and a guy who kind of uh, mingles in with those other guys. But but Kirkwood is somebody also, like you said, uh, who has also been on the roster and brings that aptitude too. That they've they've said some very very good things about him, and even even a guy like Ishmael Heineman, who uh, who took a really nasty spill on the sideline uh, on one of the plays that took place on Tuesday. Uh, but he, he ended up coming out of it okay. Uh, but but Kirkwood's definitely somebody who can definitely factor into that race. And and don't get me wrong, like like we mentioned before the show, I'm a huge Brandon Zilstra guy. So <laughs> he's got to get that. He play, I think Zilstra pays him to talk about it. No, no, not <laughs> You're at all. I will him. say this, you know, <laughs> for whatever reason, you know, they're trying to get the, you know, whether it's you know Danny Amendola or you know Cole Beasley, they, they're try, they're trying to find something. It comes to like that gritty, undersized wide receiver in the slot with him, and and whether he's somebody who, or even a Wes Welker type, like somebody who can kind of sneak in the middle and 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 get in those nooks and crannies that other guys can't can't see. I, I feel like they've they've been rather sheepish about him intentionally because I feel like they they feel like they have some some scenarios this year where they can create some space for him to to be an effective player. Yeah, he just didn't get a whole lot, a lot of opportunities last year. I mean, I, that yeah. one fourth down punt that's one big one i remember him making um that was from the punter but yeah that's something else look at let's let's talk about kick let's do let's go to kicker here a little bit too joey sly they brought in zane and you know what's what's your thoughts on that position you think they're going to bring someone in again or bring him back for competition with sly in, in training camp I think they'll probably bring Zane back. I don't know how much they really got to see from Zane other than just the real, you know, rudimentary stuff with, with the kicking game. I feel like they, they want to have Joey pushed, but I'll say this, Joey's kicking the ball very well. Like there were a couple of ones uh, during Tuesday and, and Wednesday's practice that were good from a pretty great distance, you know, beyond 50 and, and, and they're really confident with the way that he's kicking the football. We talked to a chase Blackburn, uh, about two weeks ago uh, about the way that that kind of the operation was was handled between uh, between the uh, the kicker and, and and holder apparently Joe Joe Charlton had some issues holding the football last year for Joey uh, stuff that I think to the naked eye wouldn't necessarily be immediately apparent but he said that that both Joey and Joe Charlton have been working together a lot this year to improve that part of the operation. Of course, you kind of know what you're getting out of J.J. Jansen at long snapper, although he's somebody who's getting pushed now with Thomas Fletcher. I, I feel like that's also, again, we, we kind of make fun of it because of what it is, but it's really hard to put a price on what a good long snapper means to an, to a, to an operation. And, and from what Chase Blackburn told us, it was nothing that J.J. Jansen did wrong. It's just they really liked what they saw out of Thomas Fletcher when they saw him at, uh, at, at the senior bowl. And, and one of the things that Chase Blackburn said too, is that, you know, it's different when you can see a long snapper up close and personal at a senior bowl type event like that, as opposed to, you know, seeing with the combine doing interviews, you know, the fact that they were able to kind of get on the field and practice with them uh, allows the ability of them to really see what kind of player he is. So, that's the part of it that I feel like is somewhat easier to see for them with regards to that position. Of course, you feel like uh, with regards to the, the long snapper, it might just come down to money, but, uh, but, but Joey is somebody who I feel like they, they really, yeah, like. I don't, I don't mean to jump in here and cut you off, but 
what what are they grading out of that long snapper? I mean, there. I just want to clear that because people are like, well, why the hell are they getting this guy in you know in the sixth round? And like, what what are they grading on? Is it the snaps? Is it him running down the field, getting after the you know uh, the returner? Like, what what are they looking for in that long snapper? I don't mean to get more into this, but I'm just like like seriously, how do they grade? Well, these the one guys? thing that's hard to evaluate from the college game is that the rules are a little bit different on punts because they, they uh, they're not allowed to hit the snapper in, in college. So a lot of those guys, you don't really get to see the full evaluation of what they can do in coverage. And, and again, I feel like a lot of it is they, they want more youth at that position. You know, it's not that anything that JJ Jansen hasn't done in that position. He's just, he's older. He costs more against the cap and, they really like what they feel like they can find with, with, with Fletcher's game. Now, again, it is a, uh, it is a very inexact science. It is a specialized science. There are not a lot of guys who do just that in the game. A lot of these guys are converted centers, but I I do feel like with regards to that evaluation, maybe they also kind of want to see in a way, very similar to what we talked about with the safety with, with haha Clinton Dix, maybe they want to see, how J.J. Jansen reacts to competition. A lot of that's what I feel like they feel like with regards to this rebuilding. And I also feel like, too, guys, um, I'm not saying that this team isn't going to contend in 2021, but this is, I feel like, year two of a three-year process for them. I feel like if there's a year they want to really feel like they are buttoned up It's 2022. Not that they don't expect to make the playoffs in 2021. Not like that isn't the goal. But I feel like this is all about making sure that the real run comes next season, the final year of Sam Donald's five-year option, uh, the final kind of year for a lot of these other guys too, and and also another year where they'll get some more uh, room off the cap to really make some some runs in free agency. Uh, I feel like any moves they made this off season are for the future. And I feel like whether they feel like JJ Jansen's time is either coming up or waning, maybe they can stash Fletch on the practice squad. I don't know if they necessarily want to do that or use him in another scenario. I feel like the one, the one thing they liked from Fletcher is his coverage ability. So even if he isn't the starting long snapper, he could be a coverage guy on special teams that they can go and go to and use and be like a, a specialized player or a personal protector on punts, something of that nature. Um, but but from that standpoint, it might honestly just come down to finances. If if it, Ty might go to the rookie in this case, unfortunately, which is is a, it's a sad thing for a guy like JJ Jansen who's done everything right, uh, according to Chase Blackburn. There was nothing in his game that it felt like they spurred a move. It's just they really liked the kid. Uh, Thomas Fletcher out of the senior bowl. So um, last year, obviously we didn't get OTAs because of COVID and and it was Matt Rule's first OTA uh, this year. Um, I just kind of wanted to get your overall opinion on kind of what the mood was. If you could sum it up in one word for Matt Rule's first OTA as a head coach, um, what would you say about his, you know, the overall experience that you had there? It was competitive. I will say that if, if, if that's the one word, um, and I also feel like, too, and they'll never admit this outwardly, but I feel like they were were somewhat taken aback by the comments of Teddy Bridgewater um, with regards to, you know, we didn't practice two-minute enough. We didn't practice, uh, you know, 
no huddle and all that stuff too much. And, and I, and I feel like that, that was a, that was something that was incredibly apparent with the way they organized, not only the, the Wednesday practice, but the early parts of the Tuesday mandatory minicamp practice. There was a lot of two minute. There was a lot of third down. There was a lot of, of stuff that, uh, and again, for as much as they can create pressure again, it's, it's hard to replicate the pressure of a game, but like we, we heard crowd noise. I'd never heard crowd noise in a, uh, in a non-fall practice before in, in the times that I've been covering, whether it was at the college level or at the NFL level, I'd never heard crowd noise used in June. Like that was just foreign to, to me and a couple of other guys too, you know, whether it was David or, or Joe out there, who guys who are more seasoned than me doing this, they both found yeah, that. Yeah. David mentioned that uh, in the presser. He, I think he was the one that asked it. Incredibly peculiar to see that. And I feel like that was a marked response to that. And I feel like, there is a, I think, a chippiness to this this group that feels like they didn't get a full shake on on how to really set up their season. I feel like the the first year head coaches, especially the guys who were first year at this level, were at a significant disadvantage when it came to the on field install portion of the off season. And I feel like so much of of what they were trying to do between. Uh, the install, the offense, losing Christian McCaffrey and, and having, let's be frank, substandard play at the quarterback position. It led them to feel like they almost were starting over week in and week out. And so to get those little things, those little situational things correctly, it was hard to just get them back to square and, and get them an aptitude with their base packages. It's like, you know, not to say that the, your efficiency at the two minute or at third down or in situations is a luxury, but they were having a hard time breaking the huddle and doing things, you know, conventionally, they were, they were have a hard time doing the conventional things. Right. So I feel like from their standpoint, they are in a much better spot with their install this year with a more traditional and conventional off season than they were at this point last year which allows them to do more of these situational type practices, situational type uh, schematics that allow you to kind of go to the 2.0 level of the offense with Joe Brady. And, and again, Joe Brady did not have a good year as a play caller. Let's, let's call it like it is. He, he was somebody who I felt like was a wonderkind and, and, and the, you know, the, the young hot shot offensive assistant, you really didn't get to see the first fruits of that at any point last year, other than maybe a couple of market uh, improvements near the end of the season in games that quite honestly, you think about that Washington game, the, the offense looked, you know, looked like you could possibly see some, some sparks in that game. Of course, that was a game that everybody didn't necessarily want to win because <laughs> of the draft positioning. So that's the whole part of it. That's the catch 22. They found themselves in last year, especially late in the year. But I do feel like they're, they're getting a more fair shake this year to really implement what they want to do. And, and this will, will definitely help them. It'll put them ahead of where they were last year going into July. And I also feel like, you know, the one thing too, with, with Sam, say what you will about Teddy Bridgewater, you're getting a, a quarterback who I feel like comes in. It just feels like he's more seasoned than Teddy is, even though Teddy has more familiarity with Joe Brady's system with, with new Orleans. I feel like like Sam brings more of an aptitude for the spot than I feel like Teddy did. And it just because I feel like there were, there were multiple times last year where it didn't look like Teddy knew what the hell he was doing 
honestly, it's just to be, just to be frank about it. And I feel like Sam's deficiencies are more on what was not there and bad habits created by what was not there. So the biggest thing for him is to rid himself of those bad habits, which is part of the reason why I feel like they did a very big, you know, mechanic flush with him. So they're rebuilding his footwork from the ground up. They're making him more spry in the pocket. And they're saying to him, you know, and again, they're knocking a lot on wood here when it comes to the way the line play is going to go. But like, they're basically trying to tell him you're not going to be running for your life. And we want the ball out quick. And we want to, you know, we guys, guys are going to be where they're supposed to be, which is not something you could say for him in any of his time in New York. Will Pelagic, you're with WFNZ. Let's just end on this perfect segue to Darnold. And this will be the last question for us. What do you need to see from him from mini camp OTAs to training camp to say, okay, this guy, I mean, he, he's really grasped this offense. He's ready to roll. What, what, are there anything that you think specific that he should work on or that you've seen, or just give us, give us something here. Risk management is going to be the biggest thing for him because I feel like when he was in New York, he made throws he had no business trying to make with, again, players who didn't have the ability or aptitude to make those types of plays. Um, I feel like he has those players now in New York. He needs to go in unafraid, but I also feel like he needs to go in with a mindset that, hey, you know, I can't win this gig. I can't resurrect my career from being passive. I have to use my skill set, which is a strong arm. Guy can sling it, man. Like, that's the one thing. Like, he's got arm strength. He, he's going to be able to throw the deep ball, and they're going to want to throw it deep to Robbie or DJ or, or Marshall or any of those guys. They feel like they have deep threats with all three of those guys, and they're going to want to utilize that in a very big way. But it comes down to picking your spots in the correct situations and making sure that you do not lose – the football team this game and with the way this defense is going to play I feel like you're going to see a lot of low scoring games I, I feel like anytime this this team will get in a shootout is danger for them you're going to have to win games 24 20 you're going to have to win games 27 24 and when it when when you're dealing with that razor thin margin for error it's imperative on you to to show a patience and a calmness that makes you do not take chances that jeopardize the football game. And I feel like the picking of the spots, and I think a lot of that will come down to, to Rule and Brady and, and how that relationship really goes. Sam's biggest issue is that he probably took some chances when he did not need to with players he who had very little ability to make those positions work, whereas this year – he has better players around him, and he needs to kind of relearn the situational aspects of when it's okay to take a chance, when it's okay to force the ball in there, when it's okay to check down, when it's okay to check out of a run look and go go for it on a situation where you've got single high over the top. That's the part of the game where I feel like if you're seeing that from him early in the season – then you're going to have a season that goes above expectations because then you're seeing the maturation of a player. If you're seeing a guy who is literally just a check down Charlie and not taking any chances, you're right back where we started last year with, with Teddy Bridgewater. But if you're seeing a guy who takes chances, 
and those chances are rewarded, then I feel like you can have a special player. Yeah, and it's Will. It sounds like you're leaning more towards my side of things than Curtis's, but um, I, I I had a question for you. Um, if we're in this, so let's say we go through this next season, this upcoming season, and Sam Darnold has a season similar to Teddy Bridgewater's. Um, are we moving on from him this next off season, or do you think they give him that fifth year? I don't think the fifth year is, I mean, the fifth year is guaranteed in terms of money, but I don't know if the fifth year is guaranteed is on the field with, with Sam Darnold. I feel like, I feel like they still believe it's a two year process with him. I don't think, I think there are things that he could do that could lose him the job, but I feel like I would be willing to put in a, a 75, 25, he's on this roster as the QB one next season barring another move like if if the Sean Watson happens and again that is, there are a lot of variables between between a and b in terms of that happening number one he has to get the legal issues um cleared up and number two you got to find a a way to be a dancing partner with a team that has been very reluctant to dance with regards to him and 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 a, and a trade they have not offered uh any particular counters that would resemble what i would consider to be a fair package at least from the, the, the types of talks that we've heard even rudimentarily explored by the Houston Texans. So he's the only option out there unless, unless he's in the toilet, unless, unless it comes out where, where he doesn't even play up to the level that Teddy Bridgewater is, and we're talking about Sam Howell in November. Like that's, that's the only scenario that I feel like Sam's, other than a Deshaun Watson acquisition, those are the two only two scenarios where I feel like he's not the starting quarterback next year. I feel like this was always going to be kind of a two-year, let's see what he has, and that's why they picked up that fifth-year option. So very similar to the comment that I made earlier, they are putting kind of all their chips in the, in the center, or at least holding all their chips for a 2022 run, which again, I know is not something that if you're wanting to buy a PSL or wanting to, to be, you know, in – in contention this year is not something you want to hear. And it's not to say that they can't make it into contention this year. I think it's very similar to the, the trajectory that the Charlotte Hornets are on currently as well. I mean, they, they basically, when they got the middle ball, their idea was we want to be in the playoffs. And I feel like the, the Panthers feel like they want to be in the playoffs because there's about to be a changing of the guard in this division. You know, there's no Drew Brees in New Orleans there's a rebuild happening down the road in Atlanta. And while Tampa is the king of the crown right now, or, 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 or Tampa, Tampa holds the crown right now, that's forever. Mm-hmm. That's not guaranteed forever. There's a, there's a finite space on that level for them. And it's when it falls apart for them, it's going to fall hard. And it might not be this year, but you know, Tom Brady's not going to play until he's 50 as much as he thinks he go, he's going to. Uh, I feel like there, there is a diminishing market returns going to happen on that team so the Panthers find themselves in a scenario where they're jockeying for position with these other teams and they're positioning and positing themselves for a run in that vein yeah I'm curious to see how it plays out and hopefully Sam Darnold uh is better than Teddy Bridgewater but I'll leave it at that Will thanks so much for joining us tonight on Panthers on tap we appreciate all your insight you can follow him on Twitter at Willie P style. That's at Willie P style. Pleasure to have you on will really appreciate it. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Bryson. Really appreciate talking ball with you guys. Yes. Thank you, man. We really appreciate it. We just like to thank will again for coming on a lot of good insight. 
great info from him on minicamp and OTAs. We just want to give everyone a heads up, all of our listeners out there. We're going to be taking a few weeks off here. There's not a whole lot going on between now and training camp. We'll probably come back about a week before and we'll get things rolling again, talking Panthers football and getting your insight into training camp preseason and then the season ahead. But we would just want to thank you all for listening to the Panthers on tap podcast. Don't forget you can catch all of our episodes every Thursday on Apple music, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And just cause we're taking a, a couple of weeks off, you can listen to all of our previous episodes. They're on there as well. So give those a listen. You can give us a follow also on Twitter at Panthers on tap for all your analysis and breaking news. And as always, <laughs>